Just as there are many reasons why someone won't go see a physician, there are also a number of reasons why we avoid therapy in its many forms. Listen in as I talk to two licensed clinical social workers about some of these reasons and types of therapy available. Hey y'all, welcome to the one in five, the show for those who want to know how to be healthy, how to stay healthy, and how to promote health in your community. I'm your host, Adam Renshaw, and in today's show, we have Bethany Krenop and Jackie Whiteman, and we're going to be talking about reasons people avoid accessing behavioral health services and how physicians and behavioral health providers working together can create a bridge to people getting the help that they need. Welcome, you two. Welcome, Bethany. Welcome, Jackie. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, Hey, why don't we start with you two telling us a little bit about yourselves and what you do. Jackie, would you go ahead and, and kick us off? Sure. My name is Jackie Whiteman. I'm a behavioral health specialist at One Health. I've been here for six years. Um, What brought me here was I worked with IHS for 20 years, and Dr. Mark and I worked closely together. Once he um, created One Health, he kept telling me, you need to come to work for me. Nice. So um, I started, and along the path, I started as a care manager in behavioral health my one of my goals throughout my life was always to get my master's in social work and so working with one health that was supported um i went to school i worked full time wow um had my children my grandchildren and so i accomplished my master's program during covid um that was really stressful and just navigating that world with telehealth and whatnot was um, challenging but rewarding because we, it helped us reach more people in such a rural community. Nice. What what is it? So what do you do now then? You said you were a behavioral health care manager. You got your master's degree. What does that mean now? Now I'm a, a social worker, okay. a therapist, and um, I provide behavioral health services to all types of people, ages. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Uh, Bethany, so little context. It, we got some nicknames too. So uh, Jackie is Juicy J. I had this written down from our, our pre-meeting. <laughs> oh, no. And that's one that I had never heard of. So I, I, I dig it. I dig the Juicy J. And then we have Bethany Krenop here, and her nickname is B-Money. <laughs> So, B Money, welcome, Thank you. <laughs> um, welcome, Juicy J, and uh, uh, B Money. Why don't you tell us? Start by uh, doing the same thing. Tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got to where you're at and what you do. Sure. So, I was born and raised in Kansas, and I moved to Montana after I married my husband, who is a fly fishing guide. So that's what led us to Hardin, specifically to okay. the Bighorn River. Um, but my journey in behavioral health started, um, I would say through personal life experiences and just really enjoying making connections with people and learning about 
others' life stories, everybody's life stories. Um, and that's how I kind of fell into counseling and a career in social work with my end goal being getting my um, clinical social work license so I could do counseling. Um, and when I met a connection through a One Health employee who was like, hey, you're a social worker. We need social workers here. Um, she onboarded me, basically <laughs> recruited me. Um, and I w- was able to get my clinical social work license through opportunity that One Health uh, presented, provided to me. Um, and I've been here now for five years. Wow, has it been that long? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. awesome. And I'm also a behavioral health specialist. Um, So Jackie and I have worked alongside each other for five years. Wow. Yeah. Have you worked here that long too, Jackie? I've been here six. Six years. Okay. I've been here seven. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Five, six, seven. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. Um, So you kind of sound like you both had similar paths. So you're a social worker too then? Yes. Okay. Um, And... Are you licensed? Are you, is, is that, do you have to be in order to be able to do this kind of work? Yes. So I am a licensed clinical social worker and I, but it was about a two and a half, three year process obtaining hours. So I, like you are able to do counseling during that time, but it's under the supervision of a licensed provider, licensed providers. Um, And I got that in 2020, so the same time Jackie was getting her master's degree, um, so that was an exciting time. But also maneuvering the pandemic with no doubt um, these milestones was uh, quite an experience too. And so you're currently are are you licensed? Or are you doing your hours now? I finished my hours. Oh, um, good for you. I'm just waiting for the state to tell me I'm approved to test. Congratulations! Yeah, good job, both of you. Like. As I've as we've talked a little bit, and I've got to understand this process that you guys had to go through in order to to get this, like, mad respect. It's not it's, easy. Like you, you're getting your master's degree, and then you have to do all these hours. What's the hours? It's like three three thousand thousand, correct? Yeah, within two to five years. Oh wow! I mean, I don't know. Maybe that breaks up well over five years but to me i just hear the number three thousand i'm like that's a lot that's crazy you know (laughs) (laughs) cool well thank you both for telling a little bit about yourselves and sort of how you got to where you're at and we're gonna dig in a little bit on sort of what you do like in depth as we get further into this but let's start with um we wanted to talk about some reasons why uh people struggle accessing the services that you guys provide um like off the top of my head i i can make an excuse i I know what my excuses are for maybe not going to to talk to somebody or to go uh, jump into therapy but in our conversations we had talked about five things and so let's just talk a little bit about those real quick um one is and and so maybe what i'll do is i'll just say what they are and then you guys can describe like experiences that you've had with with this kind of mentality or these kind of um uh, reasons that valid reasons like i don't when i say reasons that people have for not accessing i'm not saying that there aren't good reasons right? right um like or or legitimate reasons maybe that's a better word than good huh um for for having sort of maybe a guard up against this so anyways so the first one that we talked about was the sort of 
pull yourself up by your bootstrap mentality, right? Can you guys talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, because we live in such a rural community, um, a lot of people we serve around Hardin are farmers and ranchers, right? And so um, there were some statistics that showed a lot of ranchers, um, because of the miles that, you know, they are out of town, they have a higher suicide rate. Mm. Um, it's something that is not discussed. They just, you know, every day put their boots on. They get up and go. They don't talk about their thoughts, their feelings, um, what's stressing them out. And so um, usually that group of people just think we got to be tough. We've got to tough it out ourselves. Um, we don't need help. We'll figure it out. Sure. And so um, I hear a lot of those types of reasons. Do you, th do you think that's like generational? Do you think that it, it has to do with how they're raised or what, what do you think that, where do you think that comes from? I'd say also just like their day-to-day -day expectations and responsibilities that they have with um, the land, whether it's animals or crops, um, like regardless of how they feel, they still have responsibilities to take care of sure. a living thing. Yep. Makes sense. I get it. Um, okay. So the second one is can't speak about it because it gives it power mentality. Talk to us a little bit about that. Okay. So we also serve communities where um, either it's a family culture or um, the culture of one's race and upbringing that we don't speak about these things because then it becomes power over us, right? Or they won't understand our ways. They won't yeah. understand our belief system. And I think for me, just me being Native American specifically, I this has been part of my road to becoming a therapist is when I was small, I was forced to go to therapy. Okay. And people didn't look like me. They didn't know sometimes what I was talking about. Um, and that was really difficult. So I would really love people to know that I'm here. This is my home. Um, and we should start talking about it. Okay. Right. And helping ourselves. And so that's it really what's exciting for me. Have you seen uh, it have an impact? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Especially because I had such a long history at IHS and people know where I'm at now. And so I've had people come over and, you know, um, start talking and just engage in therapy. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Bethany, have you had any sort of contact with this mentality too? Oh, for sure. Um, but I would say with kind of the growth through therapy, they're able to find um, power within themselves or, yes, to be able to kind of take control of their lives instead of feeling like it's um, being controlled for them. Gotcha. Interesting. Uh, so then the third one is that we've talked about is the sort of mentality of we 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 kind of take care of these own issues within our own community, right? And I think I've had maybe a little bit of experience with that one, just 
in kind of like a spiritual setting, like in a church mm-hmm. setting, you know, like going, being able, being a part of the household of faith and, and, and thinking, you know, when something like this arises, I should maybe seek uh, spiritual counseling first before I would jump to something else. Is that common or talk to us a little bit about this? Uh, we do this within our own community. Right. That is very common, right? Yeah. Because our home of faith, right? Our church or our belief system, um, we navigate in that world more often than we do the behavioral health world, right? So a lot of people will turn to their faith or their belief system. Um, we're seeing more and more people um, want the anonymity, um, the privacy, and so they're reaching out, which I commend people to do because it's always good to um, have other people's thoughts. And I think you can learn in every community you're involved in. And so at One Health, we really work on respecting um, what faith people have, what belief system they have, and try to help them navigate in those worlds that they live day to day. Sure. So that's the beautiful part of what we do. That's awesome. Um, I think that kind of leads into our fourth one too, which is, you know, you said reaching out in anonymity, right? Is the reason why they do that, like we live in a small town. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and this is the, I was talking with Mindy about this. I had Mindy on the podcast. And we were talking about rural behavioral health stuff too. And, and, and we were talking about this actual issue and sort of like everybody kind of knows everybody else's business type of mentality. This is the smallest community I've ever lived in. And man, there's dynamics that I wasn't prepared for, or, you know, at least didn't have any experience in. Um, talk to us a little bit about this sort of small town and everyone in, is in everyone's business type of a thing. And, and maybe give us uh, a picture of how that could lead to maybe people saying, I can't go see a behavioral health provider there. Sure. Um, I think really it comes from a place of fear um, or even a place of guilt for whatever is presenting the person even consider coming to counseling. Um, But we really value privacy of our patients um, and the people that we work with. Um, And we're held to a code of conduct to maintain that confidentiality. Um, But just trying to gain a person's trust um, is a really important part of the behavioral health relationship with the between the provider and the patient. Right. And one thing I'd like to add to that, what Bethany was saying is, um, especially in a town like Adam was saying as Hardin, right, um, we're a border town to reservations. And so, of course, sports are huge. Sure. Um, I'm a big sports fan. My children all Me too. were in sports. And so one thing that... I think we work really well at is we always explain to our clients that come in, if I see you in the community, I will not approach you. And that's out of respect, right? And I always leave it up to um, the people that I'm serving. If they want to approach me, they can do that. I will greet them. But otherwise, 
I will not call them out. I won't wave at them. Because that could create an awkward situation, right? Right. Like right. You go up to somebody, you're like, hey, how are you? You know, like, uh, it was good talking with you last week. And then somebody's standing next to them. They're like, how do you know that person? Right. <laughs> oh, that's my therapist. Right. <laughs> right. So um, we kind of have to maneuver differently. Sure. Being sure. in such a small community. It sounds like you guys uh, have a pretty good grasp though like you've just been doing it for a while it was the same with mindy you know she said she's actually built rapport with folks seeing them at the grocery store right um and so it's even different from one community to a next and one small community to the next right and well and and it's even something simple as like being seen in the doctor's office in the waiting room by someone that you know and they're like what were you there for? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. I was like, uh, I don't have to tell you. It's uh, HIPAA protected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I get it. Like, that that could be a struggle. And, and then you just don't want people to know, like, what? This is my business. And I, I don't necessarily want to share, like, that I'm, um, particularly when we're struggling. Right. Agreed? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you find that often? Like, People have struggles and it's not something they want to be common knowledge. It is very hard to navigate that world. Um, And also living in a small community, everyone assumes they know everyone's business, right? But there's always a spin. Like, remember when we used to play telephone when we were small, right? Yeah. Um, That message gets very construed. From one person to the other. So um, I think that's what makes it really difficult in a small town. So the last one that we have is, and and I think I can relate to this one too, is the idea or the thought that therapy or counseling is open-ended. And if I go start to see a therapist, then I'm giving up the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be seeing this person the rest of my life, right? Like I'm going to lay on the couch and and, and I'm going to talk to them about my feelings. I know this is really sort of a trope, right? But it, it's it's pretty common for people to have this sort of view and mentality. So talk to us a little bit about that. Okay, I'll take this one. So I think traditional therapy, we've been taught that we have to stay with that therapist for years, right? Um, we go see our therapist, we talk for an hour, um, and we just go back week after week after week. And people, I think in our societies now with the increase in technology and, and alternative services, people are so busy. And they always say, I don't have time for therapy. I have challenged myself as a therapist that, yes, we still give people an hour, um, but be prepared to do your best work in the first 30 minutes. Gotcha. Right? Um, and it, therapy doesn't have to last a lifetime. Our whole goal of therapy is that you become independent with all of the tools that we teach you. Okay. And you learn to work within your environment and manage your life, your life skills, your emotions, um, by the tools and the education that we give you so that you're not dependent on us. That's very unhealthy is to become dependent on your therapist. Interesting. That's very interesting, and that you guys are aware of that and trying to prevent that, huh? Right. Um, so that that really leads us into 
interventions, right? We, that's the next thing we wanted to talk about. And, and I think what you were describing there, Jackie, right, is the traditional counseling uh, method. That's what people know about and are sort of scared. Like, I don't want to do that because then I'm going to be an hour a week for the rest of my life with this person and then become dependent upon this person. So that's traditional counseling. Um, so that still exists as an intervention. Could you talk to me a little bit about what that's used for then? Sure. Um, I think traditional counseling can be really helpful for a trauma approach. If there's a lot to unpack and process in different areas of coping is needed. Um, and then just kind of needing that constant, that support person through the process of processing. Um, and then just with how it's impacting your life day to day, if that's really recurrent, if it's um, pretty debilitating in your day to day life, like preventing you from going to work or getting out of bed um, to even take care of yourself, let alone anybody else, um, traditional counseling um, may be the approach that we would take as that intervention. Okay. So like, as you're talking about that, a couple of scenarios popped into my mind, maybe things were uh, situations where traditional counseling might work. You said trauma, maybe like PTSD. Would that be a situation? Sure. Okay. Right. And so we need to remember also that um, we've had several people in our communities who have been to war. Word. Right. Yeah. And then we moved into COVID. We had families who had multiple losses. We had generational losses through COVID, um, suicide. We've had teenagers in our area. I think I remember in one week we lost five to suicide. Um, and in small communities, that affects a large amount of people because of kinship. Yeah. And so sometimes that that treatment modality, we have to use traditional counseling because it's going to take a bit, bit longer to process all of that. You have to dig probably well, a little bit, huh? Right. Um, and, and a lot of times it, it's so complicated. You might have co-occurring disorders. Um that take a little bit longer to process. Okay. So maybe too like severe anxiety, debilitating anxiety, depression, those types of things as well. Right. Depression. You mentioned continual loss as well. Right. Like dealing with having, losing multiple people. It seems like in a never ending cycle, huh? Mm -hmm. That would be an arena where you would need to use the more traditional counseling method. Right. Oh, that's heavy. So maybe more chronic, would that be a way to describe it? Like, like we have in medical, we have people who have chronic care issues. And so they require, you know, maybe monthly appointments with a physician, right? Where they're managing their care. Is it something like that? It could be. Um, we also have um, the world of schizophrenia. Sure. sure. Right. Um, that is harder to treat and it, it is a lifelong process. And so sometimes those people have to be managed longer. And then if we deal with medication, sure. that's a whole nother arena. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's long term, long term as well. Uh, so the reason why I'm saying like chronic is because 
you also deal with maybe more acute stuff too, right? Um, that would be a medical term as well that we're probably all familiar with. Um, an acute medical issue would be something like the flu, right? And so you'd need to go see the doctor, but it's something that can be treated and cared for r- right away, right? Um, and I think that would lead us into this next type of intervention, which you guys called treat to target. Talk to talk to me a little bit about treat to target. Sure. So that could be, say, somebody comes in and they're having difficulty sleeping um, at night. That could be a treat to target um, intervention where we kind of go through sleep hygiene and different lifestyle habits that maybe they could try to change um, in order to improve their sleep. And so with the treat to target, you have this intervention, but then you see a result um, pretty quickly. And then it's done. And then they're not seeing you anymore like this long-term traditional counseling piece, right? Unless they want to. Right. <laughs> because then they're they're sleeping good again. They're not having disruptions. Awesome. So the issue's taken care of. Right. Another area that Treat to Target works beautifully with is when you're diagnosed with, let's say, diabetes, hypertension, um, cancer, right? That's traumatic at sure. times. Um, trying to learn a new way of living your life. You can be resistant, but that's not because you mean to. It's just, hey, this is a new way of living and I don't know how to handle it. And so we can work with the primary care provider, the nurse, the patient, and help them um, find some coping skills, right? Um, Learning how to manage their life a little bit better, so that they can be more successful at maintaining healthy standards for their care. And so like six to eight visits might work. Oh, that's a good number. That's a solid number, huh? Right. I I bet that's, uh, for anyone listening, if you're struggling with any of these things, that's a, that seems like a reasonable amount of time for me, six to eight weeks. So um, I've seen (laughs) my doctor for Longer periods of time than that, right? right. So, could do you deal with people who struggle with substance use? I do a little bit. Um, so, part of my history is working as a, a licensed addiction counselor when, oh. I, when I was with Indian Health Service. Um, so, I do have that history, but I am not licensed in okay. that field anymore, just to make it clear. Um, but I think a lot of times people with co-occurring disorders like um, anxiety, depression, addiction, you know, those all go hand in hand because we're trying to medicate something. We're trying to alleviate something. And what we use, we might turn to alcohol, drugs, nicotine, energy drinks. To cope, right? To cope. Yeah. It could, it sounds like, you know, maybe being diagnosed with one of these issues that you talked about in the treat to target, you know, section could lead to maybe substance use, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So do you guys do medication assisted treatment? Yes, we do. Um, It used to be called the MAT program, medication assisted treatment, but it's the MOUD program now. 
please, I forgot the what everything means. But it we use Suboxone for opioid addiction. Okay. Um, so this is very unique. I got to start when we got a grant for this program. Um, it's amazing, right? I think all of the stories I have heard working with people is I didn't set out to be addicted to pain pills. Or, yeah. You know, opioids, um, heroin, things like that. It's. I've heard a story like um, I had a C-section and, you know, they gave me this for my pain and then I had complications and so they gave me some more. Um, and before I knew it, I had to go borrow from people. I started to find out who had it and they were well-meaning but didn't understand the power of the drug. Yeah. Um, we Farmers and ranchers. I knew a guy who started in our program and had been branding and got smashed by <sighs> one of the cows, broke his pelvis and whatnot. And, you know, that was what led him to that. So I think the beautiful part of this is it also um, has a pain component, which also kind of helps with pain management. Um, You're talking about Suboxone. The right? Suboxone, yeah. It, it relieves pain, but it also, tell us what else it does. Um, it helps with, um, to disrupt that addiction cycle um, in your brain that has formed. And so it helps cut down on, um, I forgot the word. Um, the euphoric effect, does it have to do with like blocking the euphoria right. that you get from... Right. Like oxycodone or oxycontin. Right. Yes. Okay. And, and so um, it also helps with the withdrawal process. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of people, um, I've seen some people use it for years. Um, I've talked to doctors who have said, you know, people can be eventually weaned off of that. But I think a, a really important component of the MAP program is to be engaged with a behavioral health therapist. That was going to be my next question. Thank you. Because you you stop taking the drug, your whole life changes, right? Um, you have to then learn how to be engaged with your family again, your children, because in some instances, children are removed from the home. Mm. Um, and so um, I think it's a really good wraparound program. Awesome. To help the patient. The only misconception I think our community has is that it helps with methamphetamine oh, dependence. And it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't even touch that, huh? Is there any is there any programs that are sort of built for that? Or is, are we sort of out in the ether on that one? Maybe contingency management, I think, is um, one area for, for substance use disorders that they're maybe looking into bringing into our clinics. Okay. What it sounds like, I think the what I'm getting from you guys here is there's a lot that can be done. There's a lot of areas right. where you guys can really help make an impact in those that are struggling. And that's I think that's really cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about... Uh, medication management, this type of intervention? Sure. So a patient might be 
managed for, let's say, depression through their primary care provider. And because of X, Y, and Z that's going on in their life, the primary care provider's like, I think it would be helpful for you to work with a behavioral health provider. And so then that's how the referral would be made for us to work with them. And then if, say, we're seeing them on a weekly basis, we're able to check in with the medical provider and the patient can say, hey, this side effect is happening or this is working really great for me. Um, and we're able to communicate with the provider um, kind of in real time rather than the patient having to call and make an appointment or try to reach the provider themselves about um, a medication concern or success. That seems really helpful. Sometimes it's hard to get a hold of doctors. Huh? It is. Yeah, it's very hard. We have a term for what you're describing there, don't we, uh, B-Money? We call it integrated care. We do. Talk to me a little bit. Of, you, you talk to me a little bit about how sort of it works with medication management. Can you guys maybe give me a couple instances or one instance uh, where uh, this integrated care models and how it looks and, and talk to me a little bit about that. Okay, so integrated care is, I love it. Um, instead of you seeing a medical provider and then you, you tell the provider, hey, I'm, I'm having anxiety, I feel like I'm having a heart attack, I can't breathe, I've passed out before. Um, they often used to say, okay, go seek out a, med a behavioral health provider, which could be in a different building, a different city, that's difficult. So with One Health, we have a beautiful program where we are all integrated into one facility. Um, sometimes if you come in for healthcare and you'll do a screening form that indicates your you might have anxiety, depression, or we know you have another like postpartum depression or bipolar, we can pull in a team member, right? And so... For example, Adam, if you come in and you indicate something, you will have your primary care provider, you'll have your nurse, you'll have a therapist from behavioral health, you will have a care manager, and if you have addictions, you also can um, access an addictions counselor. So this team comes and helps you. They wrap around you. Um, we might all talk um, discuss your case over time, and then you get better, and it's shown that you get better faster. Interesting. And so as you improve, each team member can back off, right? Okay. And so um, an example is someone coming in for um, hypertension, right? And then you find that you have a high level of anxiety, so you're on a high blood pressure medication, and then maybe something for your anxiety. Well, that anxiety sometimes makes us take our medication inappropriately. And we, they, one of the things is take at bedtime, right? You're anxious, you're up till two in the morning, that's your bedtime. Mm. So people mistakenly take it at an inappropriate time. They get up in the morning and then they say, you know what, this doesn't work. I feel more tired. I'm groggy. I, I can't, can't function. Focus. Yeah, right. Okay. And, and it's, it's not the medication. It's just an error of, Hey, this is my bedtime, but appropriately having a care manager, behavioral specialist, what have you, we check in with that patient all the time. Nice. 
And we hear those things and we can help them understand that bedtime is normally like 9, 10 o'clock. So take it at that time and then we find them successful. They're having a positive outcome. Um, and so that's why I like integrated care. Or say a person comes in through the behavioral health door and we find out um, they have diabetes. They have... Uh-huh. Um, and then you're able to pass them off to a physician? Or, right. Okay. Right. And sometimes sometimes that can be done in real time. Okay. Um, where they're in um, with behavioral health and we can message a provider or a nurse and they say, we'll be in when we're done with this patient. And then we all manage that patient together. And so that's awesome. really exciting. Yeah. Mindy said that's called a warm handoff. Right. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And, and I, do we call it a back handoff when we like <laughs> take it back to the provider? No, I think either way. It's I, a, I made it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a rotating warm handoff. Warm handoff. Um, <laughs> B Money wants to backhand people. I want to <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> say no, backhanded warm handoff. <laughs> I'm also a yoga instructor, so that is you, not in my practice. I'm glad that yeah. you brought that up because I actually had that written in my notes and I never mentioned it. I went. I meant to mention it. Has th- does that play any role, uh, Bethany, in, in what you're doing? Talk to us a little bit about that. Um, definitely. I think it helps tie into treating the whole person and just helping somebody learn and understand about intuition and just kind of reading their own body and symptoms and being able to really self-regulate through coping skills. Um, and that really ties into an intervention called cognitive behavior therapy where you really focus on how your thoughts connect to your feelings which connects to your behavior um so it's about building awareness but also learning relaxation techniques or self-regulation um techniques so i've um enjoyed being able to incorporate my yoga training um into individual um practice with patients awesome could I add one thing to that? Please. It made me think. Um, we can also, and when we're working with children or even adults, I guess, maybe we can have sessions where maybe we help a child communicate to a parent. And so that parent will sit in on one of the child's sessions. And um, I'm, I'm always advocating for that because a lot of times in history, Patients have brought their children and said, fix this child. Sure. But then nothing in that child's environment is changing. Gotcha. And so I love this approach because we can bring in parents, spouses, others as needed. And then also get releases done. So I could call a patient's parent and say, this is what we're working on in therapy. Please help them practice this at home. Um, and just engage with your child or your spouse or your parent and so that I that's an exciting part as well. And that reminds me of a story um, of like maybe if um, a guardian isn't engaging in the care like we would hope they would, kind of helping the child find areas that they can be in control of. Um, mm. Like I had a patient that was homeless, and so we determined that her backpack was kind of her consistency and because she was like really stressed about, well, I have stuff at this location and this location and this location. And I said, 
let's talk about maintaining the things that are important to you in this backpack that you can keep with you 24-7, regardless of where you're spending the night that evening or um, going to school or, yeah. And to that point too, Jackie, you know, I give guitar lessons. You you guys and I have talked about this too. I've, I always find when I'm able to be in communication with the parent about what's being taught and the sort of regimen, the practice regimen right. that's expected, it, it typic- and there's interaction in the home on that level, there's typically better results um, exactly. with the student advancing in their ability to be able to uh, play guitar or play chords or chord progressions or those types of things. So. Right. That's a very good example. Cool. Well, I think we nailed everything that we had on the list to talk about. Um, can we just, if someone wants to get a hold of you guys, can we maybe leave an email address in the show notes or something like that? Or what, what do you guys, how do you want people to get a hold of you? Well, I think the process we have right now is just calling into the clinic at 665-4103 ask for a behavioral health care manager and we will be getting a few more so we'll have more staff to help Um, but the care managers actually talk to whomever's calling and we'll help them through the process of do you have a chart if you don't this is how we do it Um, and then we set up an appointment and then the care manager meets with that patient, and then we staff them and get them a therapist. Also, I'd like to say that we don't only have therapists in Hardin because sure. we have a lot of satellite um, centers, such as Mile City, um, Lewistown. Lewistown, Harlem, Chinook. Sheridan, right? Powell, Lovell, Grable. Right. Down in Wyoming. Ashland, yeah, Mindy's in 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 Ashland, right? Right. Yeah. So, and then there's telehealth too, right? There is telehealth. So even if you live in one community, you can still access services potentially. Right. In a from somebody in a different community. Mm-hmm. If if that maintaining that animosity is really important, and you don't feel comfortable having services within your own community, we do have options outside of the community right awesome. and, and telephone appointments can be yeah that's what mindy was yeah. telling me that and was pretty sweet so a lot of people like that because they don't have to travel as far yes which was a huge barrier uh, before we had um, title care services with just having a reliable vehicle um, to come in physically for their appointment so that's been nice to have that option that they can attend their appointment from home if they don't have transportation that day. Nice. Yeah. So I think for an example is I have treated people who live in Red Lodge, oh. who live in Harlem, Fort Belknap. Haver. So not even communities that we serve, huh? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. And Mile City, Sydney, Glendive, um, Plevna, Montana. Wow. <laughs> I haven't even heard of some of these right. places. Forsyth. <laughs> Forsyth. Okay. Yeah. Great. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for coming in. Thanks for sharing some of this information. You're welcome. And uh, we'll have to talk about what we're going to talk about next time yeah. and have you guys back, huh? Yes, and for I, sure. I think for our closing, our hope is 
um, with listening to this podcast that um, if there is a stigma about engaging in care for yourself, that um, kind of learning and understanding that we treat you based on what you present to us and we want whatever is going to be best for you and we will help you find that. Awesome. What a great sum up. Thanks, B-Money. And thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you next time.